Jesus, it appears, is still in the middle of conflict. For the last several weeks, we've heard the Pharisees and the Herodians putting Jesus through theological paces, trying to undermine him, trying to force him into saying something heretical or treasonous. He continues to pass tests about paying taxes, about resurrection, about the law. And then they bring in the big guns. They bring in the lawyer. This lawyer was something like a a professional theologian, an expert in theological law. So really, he was more like a really well-educated priest than a modern-day lawyer. So the the theologian lawyer comes in with a question designed, again, to test Jesus, to trip him up. And it should be noted that in this passage this morning, the only other place in Matthew where this Greek word for tested shows up is when Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan. The stakes are high. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? You might remember that Matthew, the author of this morning's gospel, is working hard to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Matthew's audience are the Jews. Matthew is using Jewish officials, Jewish language, Jewish concepts to show the Jews that Jesus really is the fulfillment of everything they've been waiting for. It is important for Matthew's argument that Jesus defeats the temple authorities. And verbally, he does. He confounds them. He confuses them. He frustrates them. He makes it harder for them to punish him based on theology or law. But Jesus also makes them more motivated to do so, question by tricky question. The religious officials are quite literally out for blood. And they will get it won't they? But not before he teaches them something about the nature of God. You may have heard me lament. I've begun a doctor of ministry program through Candler School of Theology. It's a great blessing. The workload is intense, but it's usually interesting and enlightening. One thing I've been tasked with this semester is reading history about our parish. Many of my colleagues in the program have had a terrible time with this assignment, with little to no parish records or just cabinets, file drawers full of little bits and pieces with no order or dates or captions. I, of course, have Margaret Langford's beautiful centennial history book with all of the history lined up in order with photographs and commentaries, and I have the added bonus of cabinets of beautifully organized objects from our parish history. My job has been easy. It's not a grand-scale project, the one I'm working on, so I'd be lying if I said that I've been poring over this data for hours um, with uh, my fingertips getting raw from turning pages. Um, I haven't, but... I have noticed a significant trend in the way this parish moves through the world. Perhaps you've noticed it too. Like any 
individual organi or organization as we move through history, we keep bumping headlong into obstacles. In the, during the Great Depression, our budget tanked, single digits, tanked. But we kept showing up. We provided comfort and support to families who had lost loved ones in World War I. We kept showing up. We found new ways of being the beloved community. Our church body was rocked by the civil rights movement. Not everyone here wanted to follow Frank Ross's lead. Not everyone here believed that the body of Christ should include all of God's created. We lost many members. And we stayed on the right side of history because we held on to the gospel. And we found new ways of being the beloved community. The HIV-AIDS epidemic spun us around again. Many of our parishioners left in fear, choosing a false sense of safety over real faith. Others stayed, and they cared for the sick and the dying. We buried people that had been rejected from their families and their faith communities. We continued to find new ways of being the beloved community. The story I told when I gave my parish presentation last week was not really about the windows, although they are amazing. I didn't really mention our blockbuster capital campaign last year, which was beyond impressive. I offered a few photographs of our buildings. It was part of the assignment. I had to. What I really showed them were pictures of our young adults on pilgrimage. I showed them pages from the minister's manifesto signed by our rector and associate rector in 1957. I showed them pictures from Canterbury Club dances in the 1950s. I told them about how we studied and thought and talked to the community around us before we opened our Threads Children's Clothing Ministry. I showed them our gala's It Gets Better video and pictures of our cemetery. Here's what I told my cohort. For the last 110 years, All Saints has done the hard work of leading with love. It isn't always pretty. In fact, sometimes it's really ugly and hard and sad. Love, in the gospel sense, doesn't always win us friends. Being strong in our conviction that love comes first can even lose us friends that would prefer that gospel work be easy or pretty or gentle. This congregation here gathered is not Jesus. We can be bold with our love. We've seen it happen. We can also be petty and frightened and self-serving. Some days, we could use a strong dose of humility. We have a lot to learn about love from our Messiah. Lance Payne of Bright Divinity School says in his, his commentary on this passage, the same love that inspired Jesus to eat with the outcast, 
reach out to the untouchable, embrace the powerless, also drove him to confront the demoniac, outmaneuver the manipulative, and correct the clueless. Love misinterpreted can be an excuse for Christians to take the easy path, to avoid conflict, to hide truth. Real love takes good care of people, but it confronts them, too, with honesty. Real love welcomes people that are frustrating and discomforting and gathers them around the table. Real love stands up to pedantry and gossip. Real love ends up on the right side of history. The love that Jesus preaches over and over again is not about feeling or sentimentality. That kind of love cannot be commanded. The kind of love that Jesus commands to the law expert is about commitment. It's about action. Love is more complicated and difficult than we would like it to be. This is part of the message that Jesus is offering in this morning's reading from Matthew. It's easy to sum up, love God, love neighbor, but it's difficult to live with integrity. There are congregations out there in Atlanta that will not ask you to work so hard or think so hard or love so darn hard. There are congregations that will make it easier on you to read scripture, to listen to sermons, to do some nice things and hear some nice words. They're fine places. And if discomfort with the hard work of leading, bearing love of Christ is not your thing, I can help you find somewhere to worship. Because here, we will not let you off the hook. Jesus did not let his disciples off the hook. Nor did he spoon-feed them. The kind of love that Jesus expects from his disciples, us, demands that they expand the horizons of their thinking and of their imagination. That they, as our diocese is calling us into right now, draw the circle wider. We do that here, don't we? We've been doing it for generations. And in doing it, we've made some people mad. We've made ourselves mad. We've battled injustice. We've welcomed the stranger. We have loved deeply and widely and fully and wholly. And we aren't done yet. In 89 years, on our next centennial, I want Margaret Langford's great-grandchild to write the next chapter of our history. I want it to say that we weathered the decline of the American church with grace. I want it to say that there were moments when things looked bleak, when funds got low, when we lost some people. And then, like we always have, we found new ways of being the beloved community. We stood up, we brushed off the dust, 
and we got to work, mourning our losses, celebrating what remained, opening our eyes and our arms and our hearts, and as Carl Walker reminded us in the video last week, our wallets, to the work that needed doing. I don't want to read in that centennial, that second centennial history, I don't want to read that we survived. I want to read that we thrived. I want to read that the maddening, uplifting, empowering love of Christ drove us out into the broken world and we became even more the body than we've ever been. So let's write that history together in broad, bold strokes of love. Amen.